The following sermon was preached at Liberty Baptist Church. We exist to showcase the glory of God by being and making disciples of Jesus. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please leave them open to Ephesians 4. We'll pick up in just a moment in verse 11. In the metro area of Houston, there is a church that can easily seat almost 17,000 people. Every Sunday, they have over 52,000 attendees, most of which are thought to be members in four English-speaking services and two Spanish-speaking. Millions watch their live stream service every week as well on the internet or cable or satellite TV. For the past few decades, this pastor has written and sold numerous bestsellers on his interpretation of the Christian life. And every week before this pastor at this church gets up to deliver his message, he and the congregation repeat the following statements together, him first, them repeating. He grabs his Bible, and they've changed this over the years, but it typically goes something like this. He holds it up and he says, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert and my heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. I mean, what a statement, right? In a way, it reminds us of what our job is in the pulpit week in and week out. We are to teach you the word of God so that you might be changed for the better in light of the gospel of Christ. Yet I'm sure that some of you have already uh, guessed at the church and the pastor that I'm describing. It's Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, pastored by Joel Osteen. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, then you've likely heard of Osteen and would be surprised that a statement like this is made every Sunday at his church. Since the Bible was spoken of in the beginning and yet never thoroughly addressed after that. Unfortunately, Lakewood Church has been the ground for much of the prosperity gospel that we see in the world today. The thought that God's primary aim is to give you your best life now, which is interpreted as material wealth or worldly success. To give you an example of just how bad Joel Osteen's teaching is, there's a quiz you can take online called Joel Osteen or Fortune Cookie. I took it last night, did terrible. You, you need to study for it, get prepared, watch some sermons and see if you can do well. How bad can it be? How can there be such hypocrisy? Why is there such hypocrisy? We might never know the intents of Osteen's heart. And it is sad to know that there are many quote-unquote churches like this one, the most attended and watched in our country, that will miss the mark of our job as pastors this bad. But this much we do know. What Joel Osteen claims to do with the Bible and doesn't, we actually try to do. As elders, our aim is to teach God's word to you so that you may be equipped to do the work of ministry with us. And we aren't finished. Not only are we not finished, but we've got a long way to go until Christ comes back or until we go to him. If this is your first Sunday at LBC, your first Sunday in a while, then let me catch you up. A few weeks ago, Pastor Nathan started us off on our current sermon series, The Church According to God. He detailed for us the mission of the church to make disciples through preaching, strengthening, and structuring. Then Pastor Tyler helped us to see the role of members as key holders, those who guard the doctrine and the members of the church. 
Last week, Pastor Bobby helped us to see the role of deacons as servants in our church. And two weeks ago, Pastor Stephen taught on members as ministers from the last few verses of the text that we just had read, showing us that it's the ministry of every member to do spiritual care, moving us to spiritual maturity for the purpose of spiritual health. My text for this morning comes right before what Pastor Stephen's text was. To do what he called our members to do, we have to see verses 11 to 14 coming to life in our church as well. If we want to see members doing spiritual care for spiritual maturity, for spiritual health, we have to have elders equipping saints for the work of ministry, for the purpose of building up this church. So far, we've spoken about the mission of the church. We've spoken about the role of members in our church and as well the role of deacons. And these last three weeks in our series, we'll be preaching on the role of elders or pastors in our church. And the title and the purpose of my sermon today is Elders as Equippers, to show you how the elders have been given to you to equip you. In Ephesians 1 through 3, we didn't read it, but there Paul magnificently displays the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. And then in chapter 4, he starts to show us the way the gospel affects how we live. And throughout much of chapter 4, he calls us to be a unified people, yet he tells us in our text that this can't happen unless God's people are being equipped. So with that in mind, let's read again those four verses in the middle, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. This is what God's word says. And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Let's pray together one more time. Father, help us to see from your word the gift that elders are to the church. And we ask even now that you would use this sermon to further equip the saints of Liberty Baptist for the work of ministry. We ask that you would use our members to build up the church in unity toward greater maturity in the faith. Help us to be heralds of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. In verse 11 of our text, we see that Christ has given us some gifts. Yet these gifts are unique because they're not the kind of gifts that you'd normally expect. Rather, these gifts are people, prophets, apostles, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And Paul really wants you to know that this is Christ giving us these gifts. He emphasizes the fact that it's Christ. He himself gave. And it's important to note and to take note of the fact that this is the ascended Christ who has given us these gifts. These gifts are from the one who ascended far above to the heavens to fill all things, as verse 10 says. This is significant to note the week before Ascension Sunday, the day that we remember that Christ not only died and was resurrected, but he also ascended to the right hand of the Father where he currently reigns as prophet, priest, and king. And because Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, he had to give us gifts so that we could do what he has called us to do. And at this point, I need to give you a clarifier up front. 
much ink has been spilt over these people and these offices mentioned in verse 11, primarily concerning whether these offices are still in effect today. You'll notice we don't have apostles or prophets or even the office of evangelists in our church, yet we do have the office of pastors. While I'd love to talk more about this, it's a temptation I'm going to have to avoid, but I will say this before we move forward. The apostles were, for sure, at least the 12. We've also got Barnabas, Paul, James, Epaphroditus, and Peter mentioned as apostles in the New Testament. You've got apostles teaching and performing miracles. They laid hands on others for ministry. They were often condemned to die for their faith, and most all of them at some point had seen the risen Lord. The church was built on their foundation, as Paul notes in Ephesians 2 before our text, and they are often seen doing missionary work in the New Testament. And then the prophets most often refers to the Old Testament prophets or the Old Testament writing that we call the prophets. Yet in the New Testament, we also have John the Baptist called a prophet. Judas, Silas, and Agabus are called prophets, and Jesus is called a prophet. The prophets testify of the Messiah. They speak in the church, and the church was also built on their foundation with the apostles. And then the evangelists of the New Testament, those who preach the gospel primarily to unbelievers, yet Philip and Timothy are the only two explicitly mentioned as evangelists in the New Testament, though we might also count the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Again, we could spend a lot of time going much deeper into this, but it would be subservient to my main goal. Our time today will be spent discussing the gift of pastor-teachers, the gift of elders mentioned at the end of this list. The literal word used here is shepherd, which in the New Testament refers to the same office as pastor, overseer, elder, or bishop. These aren't multiple offices. It's one person in the church. Next week, Pastor Brandon will even preach to us about how elders are shepherds. So, and though it may seem like two different offices mentioned as well, the last term we see actually serves to describe the former. Pastors are teachers. And while we may question the other offices, we know that pastors are for us today. Now take a moment with that in mind to consider who elders are named alongside. Men from the Bible like Paul and Peter, James, John, Matthew, Barnabas, Timothy, Philip, Church, at the risk of sounding prideful, you can add your pastor's names to this list as gifts from Christ to this church. Nathan, Brandon, Tyler, Bobby, Stephen, and the least of all, me. Let me just say this now, like this is the most awkward aspect of this sermon, that I'm telling you I'm one of Christ's gifts to you. <clears throat> it's, it's like if I were to take my wife uh, to the side, Cassandra, and tell her I'm about to tell you 10 reasons I'm so great for you. It feels like that's what I'm doing today and what we'll be doing the next three weeks, but it's true. Pastors, elders are a gift from Christ to the church. And I can say with confidence that our other five elders are all gifts to me, and hopefully by the end of my sermon, you will see that you are a gift to us. Here's the main idea of my sermon, the main thought I want you to walk away with. Christ has gifted our church with elders so that our members can be equipped by them to do ministry alongside them. I want to help you, our members, see that your job is to be equipped and then alongside our elders to minister to others. This is God's design for the church, the church according to God, if you will. In a healthy church, the elders doing their work of equipping will lead to a mature body of believers. 
Paul lays this out in Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 in three steps. And these are my three points for you today. I'll give them to you up front. The elders equip, the saints build up, and the body matures. The elders equip, the saints build up, and the body matures. First, in a church utilizing Christ's gifts to us, the elders equip. See verses 11 and 12 with me again. And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Notice again in our text that pastors are seen as gifts from Christ to the church. So a part of our choosing elders in this church is recognizing those that God has gifted for this role. We actually don't choose and vote in our elders as much as we recognize and affirm God's calling them and gifting them to us. And a part of this, a big part we might say of our recognizing them is asking this question, who can equip me for ministry? Really, truly, you you should be asking this question the next time it comes to nominate elders in this church, who at Liberty Baptist can better equip me for the work of ministry? And notice the one that we are called to equip, saints. It's not to say elders shouldn't minister to unbelievers. We should and we do. But our job as elders is primarily focused on God's people. You, our members, are the people that we have been called to pastor. You are the people that we have been called to equip. Christ himself has gifted us to you for this purpose. And what are we equipping you for Well, Paul says here, the the literal word, service or ministry, and that's about all that he says for us. However, we thankfully have the rest of God's word to see what that service and ministry should look like. I took the liberty of coming up with a list of how we as elders aim to equip our people. And I could give commentary on this list, but we would be here all day if I had to. So just consider these ways that your elders aim to equip you as Christ has called us to do. This being why you need the church, why you can't do lone wolf Christianity, and why you shouldn't be in an unhealthy church. You are to be equipped toward the following in no particular order, how to evangelize, how to defend the faith with gentleness and respect, how to preach teach, and exposit God's word. Elders equip you on how to counsel others, how to make disciples, and how to care for members, especially their souls. Elders equip you on how to get involved in your community, how to pray both individually and corporately, and how to practice the spiritual disciplines regularly. Elders equip you on how to fast and when to fast, how to read and study your Bibles, how to apply God's word, and how to raise your children according to the Bible. Elders equip you on how to lead family devotions and worship times in your home, how to properly worship and how to properly practice the ordinances. Elders equip you on how to use your gifts to the glory of God, how to interpret the cultural happenings all around us, how to live as strangers and aliens in this world. Elders equip you on how to identify and care for your neighbors, how to serve others, and how to delegate ministry and train others for ministry. Elders equip you on how to navigate your free time for good and how to decide on your intake of entertainment, how to use technology as a tool instead of being used by it. Elders equip you on how to navigate the news and the media of today, social or otherwise. 
Elders equip you on how to identify false doctrine and how we come to know true doctrine, how to grow in our theological understandings. Elders equip you on how to mourn for and with others, how to prepare for death, yours and others, how to be hospitable to both strangers and fellow Christians, and how to practice church discipline, be it in small or big ways. Elders equip you on how to confess your sin and truly repent, how to come to an assurance of your salvation, and how to rejoice in Christ. Elders equip you on how to bear the burdens of others, how to sympathize, how to live generously, and how to give away and steward your God-given resources. Elders will equip you on how to care for the poor, how to go after lost sheep, bringing brothers and sisters back to the fold of God. Elders will equip you on how to cultivate healthy marriages, how to fight sin, how to obey and submit to the governing authorities, and how to know when you shouldn't. And pastors, elders will equip you on how to submit to elders, even as the elders submit to their other elders. And as we do this together, church, we will inevitably develop more and more people to serve as future pastors, staff members, worship leaders, deacons, missionaries, Christian teachers and educators, small group leaders, and counselors. We should also consider the one another passages of Scripture, that our goal as a church is to grow in these ways. Our goal is to bring you alongside us in ministry so we can better care for one another. And let me qualify again that it can seem somewhat selfish that we are equipping you to do this work with us and that as we do it, we are equipping members to actually minister to, serve, and care for us. And there might even be a sinful tendency in some of you to think, but this is why we hired you. This is why we nominated you, so you could do it. But church, we need this. God has ordained that this is how it would be, that that we don't want superhero pastors at Liberty Baptist who try to do it all. What we want instead are biblical shepherds who equip the sheep for the task of shepherding as well. Serving one another, instructing one another, and singing to one another. Encouraging one another and gathering so that we can serve and encourage one another. Accepting one another and not envying one another. Tolerating one another, forgiving one another, and seeking good for one another. Confessing sins to one another, loving one another, and greeting one another. Being devoted to one another, regarding others as more important than ourselves, bearing one another's burdens, speaking truth to one another, and comforting one another concerning the resurrection of Christ, praying for one another, showing hospitality to one another, and teaching and admonishing one another. And if those two lists aren't enough for you, you could just keep reading the book of Ephesians to see a multitude of ways that Paul calls us to minister to and serve one another. And in case you're asking where or how this equipping takes place, here's one last list for you. It's elders in the pulpit, elders praying for and with you, elders meeting with you after the service, elders leading and participating in your community groups, elders teaching and participating in your equipping groups, elders counseling you one-on-one, elders discipling you or mentoring you. It's elders going through books with you or studying the Bible with you. Elders meeting with your family or having you over for dinner. Elders preparing you for marriage or preparing you for your life of singleness. Elders writing articles for your good or elders serving you as examples of godliness in this church. John Stott describes the need for equipping well when he says this. 
The New Testament concept of the pastor is not a person who jealously guards all ministry in his own hands and successfully squashes all lay initiatives, but of one who helps and encourages all God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. The members of our church are equipped by our elders, and our members join the elders in the work of ministry for the purpose of building up Christ's body and all that follows in our text. That is, the reason elders equip is so the rest of our text can actually happen, which leads us to our next step in the process. First, the elders equip, and second, the saints build up. The saints build up. Okay, so the elders have equipped you and will continue to equip you. You're in, you're a part of this ministry. Really, you have no choice. You have to serve alongside us. You must help us. You must work with us to move our church towards spiritual maturity. It's in the Bible. I'm sorry, you have to do it. So see again, verse 12, moving into verse 13. Pastor, teachers, equip saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. As these prepositional phrases progress in our text, the the text does become more difficult to understand. There can easily be a tendency to read all of these phrases as equals and all to be applied to the work of those offices mentioned at the beginning of our text. But that's not the case. Christ didn't give elders to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. That's not how we read that, though elders certainly have a role to play in both. Instead, he has given the church elders to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the saints alongside the elders can build up the body of Christ. So you have been equipped and are being equipped to build up this body. This language of building up is also used three other places in Ephesians. gives us a better picture of what Paul means here. Ephesians 2.21 tells us that in him, Christ, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. Ephesians 4.16 tells us that from him, Christ, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. And then Ephesians 4.29 tells us that no foul language should come out of our mouths, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. There's a sense of uplifting and encouragement moving toward a goal. The literal word used here conjures up an image of something being built. That is a building, something under construction, something being refined and perfected. And as we go on in this passage, we see what we are being built into. This much you'll see, when it comes to building up, this isn't really about adding more people to gain numbers as much as it's about growing the spiritual health of those already here. You'll never really read a passage in the Bible where a pastor asks another pastor from another church, how many are you running or how many are coming? This is because, as Robbie Gallaty says, when Jesus determines the health of your church, he doesn't count the Christians within, he weighs them. And how desperately... Is this building up needed? Consider what Paul was writing just chapters ago in Ephesians 2. You were once dead in your sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, made us alive with Christ, though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace. Yet he continues and says, there's a work for you once dead people. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. 
The word until here signifies that we are going to do this up until a certain point. And what is that point? Well, Paul says, until we all reach unity. The word then in verse 14 also signifies that this is a timed goal. You are to be building up the church until there is unity in the faith, until there is a unity in the knowledge of God's Son, until we grow into maturity. As kids often ask on long car rides, you may wonder, are we there yet? As parents, we hear this, and I haven't had to yet since my kids can't speak in full sentences, but as a former youth pastor, trust me, I heard this enough. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And man, is this question annoying. If we're still driving, we're obviously not there yet. You know, one day you should just tell your kids, actually we are, just tuck and roll, open the door, get out, like, we'll see you there. And in the same way, Christ, if he has not yet come back, has still given us a mission. As long as we have a church, you still need to be equipped. There is still building up to be done. There's a greater unity to be found in faith, a greater unity to be found in the knowledge of God's Son and a maturity that we're still seeking to achieve, especially in light of the fact that Paul says it's a stature measured by Christ's fullness. We pastor God's people to the very end until there is a full maturity in us, something that is actually unattainable in this lifetime. So that's all to say your elder's job will never end. We will always be equipping you. You will always be building up and we will always be pursuing greater unity and maturity. However, as we equip others to do the work of ministry, we are enabling others to take part in that work with us. Paul says we're trying to reach this unity. We're trying to attain this unity, as other translations put it, signifying this is something we are actively striving after. And it hadn't been reached in Paul's time. And, and based on what he tells us in this text, we haven't reached that time as well. So what is it that we are going to be seeking forever to reach and to attain its unity in faith and in knowledge? Faith here has to do with the content of what we believe. That is, it has to do with the what. Content is in view when it comes to the unity of faith, not just the act of faith or believing itself. This is all to say that what one believes or what one has faith in is very important. And so this is why theology and doctrine is important for all of us in this church. It's not just for pastors or professors, seminarians or professional theologians. It is for you as well. On the other hand, as Paul moves to speak of knowledge, this has more to do with a person. As we see, the Son of God is mentioned. This has to do not with the what, but with who. This is why we at this church will uphold Christ and his gospel week in and week out. Already today, we have acknowledged our holy God and our call to worship. We have confessed our sin corporately to him. We've been assured of our pardon made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. And we have rejoiced in that pardon. We're still rejoicing in that pardon, our salvation. Guys, more than anything else, this is what unifies us. As different and diverse as we are, Christ died and was resurrected for us all. And because of that, we all have a relationship with him and a relationship with one another. We are all adopted into the family of God, made brothers and sisters. And if you're an unbeliever, you can be in the family too. 
As much as our society wants to pit us against one another because of our diversities and our differences, the Bible actually calls for a radical kind of unity, the kind of unity that can only come from being united by our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for sinners from every tribe, language, people, and nation. To put it another way, when it comes to unity and the knowledge of Christ, it has to do with experience more than knowledge. That is, we must all personally know God's Son to be in unity. This is why we as elders and as a church practice regenerate church membership and church discipline to the best of our ability. Because it is impossible to truly be unified if we don't all as members share unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. This unity is what you, the equipped saints, are, be, are building us up toward through your ministry. So the elders equip, the saints build up, and third, the body matures. The body matures. Let's read the end of verse 13 and into verse 14. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. The very word used at the beginning of verse 14 signifies that because of verses 11 through 13, we have the reality of verse 14. This is the good news behind your equipping. This is actually why you are equipped. The purpose of equipping is building up, and the purpose of building up is to attain unity and knowledge. The purpose of attaining unity and knowledge is growing in maturity, and the purpose of growing in maturity is to move on from being little children and to know false teaching when we see, hear, or read it. And in all of this, we are being moved from being children to adults in the faith. This is why elders have been given to you. As children need parents to grow strong and healthy in more ways than one, so God's people need elders to help them grow strong and healthy in the faith. Paul even multiple times compared his ministry to that of a mother or a father. If you see verse 13, it seems to be what the equipping is positively for, what we do want that is growing in maturity. In verse 14 seems to be what the equipping is negatively for, what we don't want, that is, to no longer be children. In non-typical fashion, I'd like to address verse 14 and come back to verse 13. One of our goals as elders is that our people would not remain as children, that they wouldn't remain spiritually immature. Our desire is for you to grow in faith and in knowledge, as verse 13 says. The mood of this verb here in Ephesians 4.14, we will suggest that this is possible or potential, that the action may or may not occur depending on the circumstances, depending on what's done or what isn't done, we might say. So in our case, we might not move on from what Paul describes in verse 14 if we don't actually live out verses 11 through 13 as a church. That is, we might not move on from spiritual immaturity, from being spiritual children, if the elders are not equipping you and if you are not building up the body. Look at how Paul illustrates this, how he describes these children, tossed and blown around by waves and every wind of teaching. Both of these are passive verbs, allowing something to be done to us. It's not as if we're being active when this is our posture. It's almost an apathetic place to be, allowing yourself to be deceived by not being equipped. Could we call this the unchurched Christian or the lone wolf Christian or the one who doesn't seek counsel from elders? 
We want our people in this church to know true biblical teaching so when you see false teaching, you can recognize it in a heartbeat. It's like those government officials whose job it is to catch counterfeit money. They don't study all of the counterfeit money. They study as best as possible true money so that when they see counterfeits, they can quickly identify it. And so we as elders don't spend as much of our time talking about all the false doctrine and teaching in the world as much as we spend our time teaching you true, sound, biblical doctrine so you can know when you're getting something that's fake. We spend our time preaching to you the one true gospel every week so that when you hear a false gospel, you can identify it. Our goal in all of this is to grow into maturity as verse 13 says. The words used here, though, help us see the goal a bit more. It would more literally translate as the mature man or a full-grown man, which is contrasted with the children of verse 14. That's the goal here, moving from being spiritual children to being spiritual adults. This is why you're being equipped by your elders. It makes me think of our monthly checkups for our kids. I know we've got a lot of new parents in here, so maybe you'll relate with me on this. I find those percentile numbers at our checkups to be fascinating. I want to know them. Please don't brush past them. Give me the percentiles. It helps me track the growth of my kids and to know that they're getting physically healthier, that they are coming of age. Our four-month-old Luke at his last appointment had moved from like the, the 15th percentile in weight and height to the 90th percentile, meaning that he's gotten quite thick. <laughs> yet, yet as much as Luke has grown, he's still a child. I'm almost 16 times my kid's size, so Luke's got a long way to go, and maybe Dad could go down a bit as well. (laughs) However, I'm not worried about Luke's size because he's a kid. He's got years ahead of him. He's got a lot of growing to do, but if we're two years down the road from now, and he's the same height and weight that he was at four months old, then that is cause for concern. That would be a problem. As well, if he's 18 years old one day and still acting like he's eight, that would be a problem. We expect maturity. And so this is all to say that Paul isn't knocking those who are new converts. Maybe you find yourself in here this morning and you're saying, well, I don't really know doctrine that well or teaching that well, and I can't identify much of the Bible. Well, we're not saying this morning that that's bad on your part. It's okay. You might be a spiritual child. Paul isn't knocking those who are new converts, those who are spiritually immature. There is a maturing to come for them, just like my son Luke will grow physically as well. Spiritual immaturity truly exists when those who are not children or shouldn't be children anymore are still living as children. So this isn't to chide those new in the faith, but those instead who who should have been deeper in the faith by now. And so as a measure of keeping you from being spiritually stagnant and keeping you from spiritual maturity, your elders don't want you, our people, to not be equipped. We don't want you to be influenced by false teaching, by those who would try to trick us or by those who would try to win us over with cleverness that sounds like truth. And guys, you are our sphere of responsibility. You are the people we will give an account for one day. Scrolling through social media, it is so tempting to comment on others' posts when there is unhelpful or unbiblical teaching. And I'm not saying it isn't noble to correct others when this happens, but if I saw it as my responsibility to correct everyone's poor theology, my days would never end. Instead, I think about the people God has given me to shepherd, members of Liberty Baptist Church. I am way more concerned with what you believe 
than what, what someone on Twitter I will never even meet believes. You are the people that I am equipping in hopes that you will recognize and call out false teaching when you see it. So what is the false, unhelpful, unbiblical teaching? In Paul's day, he could have been referring to submitting to regulations Christians were no longer obligated to submit to. Various religious philosophies that were combated throughout his epistles. Trying to uphold the law over the gospel or trying to say that we can continue in sin because of grace. It could have been requiring circumcision for new believers or causing uh, division between Jews and Gentiles. It could have been those who diverted away from the one true gospel or participating in the fruitless works of darkness. It could have been allowing church discipline to go in practice or lying for profit, disguising oneself as Christ's apostle, or living by human tradition and philosophies rather than by God's word. Those same things can persist today, and yet in our day we find even more false, unhelpful, or unbiblical teaching, trying to solve our own problems without taking man's sinful nature into account. Maybe it's deciding upon the government or depending upon the government for our spiritual well-being as if the president matters more than King Jesus. Maybe it's not depending on God's word and its sufficiency for every area of our lives. Maybe it's allowing missions to not include evangelism, disciple-making, and church planning. Maybe it's those who minimize the severity of normalized sins like divorce, though there are biblical circumstances where it is called for. It could be allowing easy believism as if we shouldn't be assessing the reliability of one's profession of faith. It could be believing that it's wrong for women and men to be equal yet hold distinct roles in the family and in the church. Believing it's acceptable for men to not flee lustful desires because that's just how they're wired. Advocating for any kind of prosperity gospel or looking to safety as a goal when it's not promised by God in the scriptures. Maybe it's thinking that to love LGBTQ plus identifying people, we also have to affirm their lifestyles and reinterpret the Bible to affirm it. Believing or living like salvation is by faith in works or thinking that the gospel is just for unbelievers and not believers. One of our own members, Jared Wilson, has written a book, The Gospel According to Satan, and he provides us in that book. I definitely recommend it to you. provides us with eight lies the enemy, Satan, would have you believe. The enemy later noted in Ephesians 6.11 as the one who is scheming against us. God just wants you to be happy. You only live once. You need to live your truth or your feelings are reality. Your life is what you make it. You need to let go and let God. The cross is not about wrath or maybe God helps those who help themselves. Your pastors, your elders are here to keep you from believing these kinds of things. And it's not going to come from cultural commentary week in and week out, but by doing what God has called us to do, equipping you by teaching God's word. Let's go back to that one last point from verse 13. Our maturity is toward the fullness of Christ. So it bears repeating that we will be doing this for a while, guys. You should buckle up and enjoy the ride. Looking back at this text, the giving was for equipping And the equipping was for building up, and the building up was for unity, and the unity was for maturity, and the maturity was for steadfastness and truth. Christ gives us elders so that the body of Christ can grow in their knowledge of Christ, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let me leave you with two thoughts. Be encouraged and be reminded. First, be encouraged 
Have you noticed that with all of our recent hires here, Paul, Whitney, Adrian, Taylor, Alyssa, all of them have come from within our membership? Be encouraged by that. We didn't, go have to, we didn't have to go outside our church to find people to minister to our church body. Have you noticed that out of our six elders, four of them took part in the pastoral residency led by Jared Wilson here? Be encouraged that your elders, aside from Nathan, all came from within the church. Consider the missionary families we have sent, the Milligans and Housers. Consider that right now there are three more families in the process of being sent overseas over the next year. Consider the pastoral residents, Jacob and Brandon, who recently preached in our Sunday morning service. Consider the many other members in our church who have preached at a Good Friday service or a Five Solas service or at one of our Sunday evening services. Consider that we have nearly a dozen community groups being led by our members right now. Consider the dozens who have taught classes at our church on Sunday mornings or the dozens who are currently discipling someone or being discipled by someone in our church. Consider the many people in our church who have had gospel conversations with unbelievers even this past week. God is at work in our church. This past week, I asked a few former and current members a simple question. In one to three sentences, can you tell me how the pastors of LBC, any of them past or present, have equipped you for the work of ministry? Every single one of them missed that one to three sentence part. So I can't share their answers in full. But that's okay. It was actually an encouragement, and I'll give you some snippets of what they did say. Colin Coffey, a former member now serving as a pastor in Oklahoma, said this, seeing how they shepherded us and others through the membership process, prayed for us, and gave up time with their families to live out 2 Timothy 2.2, and the occasional velvet-covered hammer from Sam Beerig. Rex Bingham, a former member uh, now at a church in the Nashville area, said this, not only through the teaching, but also the intentional explanation of everything we do as a church and how it serves the purpose of showcasing the glory of God. I was able to see it exemplified in daily life through Pastor Brandon, his friendship to me and others, his diligence for God's word, and desire and love for the lost and their hearing of the gospel. Katie Lyle, soon to be sent out to the mission field with her husband Clyde, said this, while in India, Nathan, with others, came for a week to work in that region. Seeing Pastor Nathan's servant leadership and his desire to send many missionaries from LBC was a massive encouragement to me in that season and continues to be today. Bobby Sumner, a member turned deacon, turned elder at our church, said this, I was helped by equipping groups in which pastors either taught or participated in. Their interaction with the class was often not only instructive, but a model of how to shepherd others. Even now, I often think that our elders' meetings are not just an opportunity to do ministry, but an opportunity to learn from the wisdom that God has given the other men I get to serve with. Seth Gillum, a recent graduate of Midwestern Seminary, receiving the Theology Award just last week, said this, I've learned from Bobby to never waste a conversation with someone. Every time I'm in conversation with Pastor Bobby, he is asking questions that draw out the heart, but he does so with such genuine love, care, and concern. And I've learned from watching him how to be a faithful father while in ministry. The same things can be said about Stephen and Tyler too. Our family has been ministered to by all of the pastors. Every pastor has helped to equip me as a man of God and a minister of the gospel. And Whitney Pruitt, a member turned staff member, said this. The elders equipped me positionally to serve by knowing me and the needs of the church well enough to ask the church to place me in the job I'm now in. 
They regularly provide the staff with directions so that we know how to best spend our limited time to serve and care for the church. They have equipped me through encouragement at times when I was tempted and discouraged because it seemed like my work as a staff member was ineffective. So be encouraged that God is at work in our church, that you are being equipped. You will continue to be equipped for the work of ministry, for the building up of the saints in this church, to the unity of faith and the unity of knowledge in the Son of God, growing in maturity to a measure, to a stature measured by the fullness of Christ. And be reminded as well, our staff can take days off and vacation. Our elders can do the same. We don't have to fret because all of our members matter and all of our members can and will do ministry. When you're called upon to take part in the ministry, be grateful. It's a sign that you belong to a healthy church. It's a sign that you are being equipped for the work of ministry. The elders equipping you is giving ourselves someone who can help build us up toward Christ-likeness. Our equipping you might be seen as selfish, but it's actually God's gift, and we're just trying to open it. Christ has called me and the other elders to equip you so that we will have someone else to help us in the ministry of our church and so that we can have the very members that we're called to shepherd minister to us as well. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for your word so much. Father, without it, we wouldn't have the tool we so desperately need to equip your people. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ bringing us together. We are so thankful for his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We are thankful that he gifted us with pastor and elders who can equip us for the work of ministry. Father, I pray that in the years to come, you would continue to build up Liberty Baptist Church, not just in numbers, but especially in spiritual health. Father, I pray that you would use our church to call unbelievers to faith and repentance, maybe even this morning, Father, leaving behind their sin and joining the family of God. Father, we thank you again so much for Jesus Christ. Help us to display his glory and his grace week in and week out in this church and allow it to be to our edification, to our benefit, and to our lives as Christians. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.